So there might be uh, either um, either a truncation of this episode or some additional background noise because I am joined live in the studio by Owen Kyle Leibman. Welcome to the program, Owen. <laughs> he says, blank stare. <laughs> Long time, baby. First time podcaster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he was uh, he was sleeping peacefully until I texted you and said I'd be ready to start early. <laughs> mm. And then he's like, "Oh, I'm an awake baby." His baby senses were tingling. Yeah, he's like, "Oh, Daddy wants to do something. I'd better be awake." <laughs> okay, well, make the most of it though. Segway into the topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so topic. <laughs> what were we going to talk about? Oh, I was hoping you would you would come up with a clever segue from Owen. <laughs> oh no, I don't. I got nothing. I got nothing. From Owen to Topic, that classic Kelly Clarkson movie. You, uh, what? <laughs> you can Google it later. Okay. Okay. <laughs> We're off to a better start. You would you would not get that on so many levels. You are listening to Priority, a podcast about choices, limitations, and getting stuff done. Priority is hosted by Katie Leibman and her brother, Max Leibman. That's me. Today's episode is entitled, Katie Watchers. For complete show notes, including links to anything we discuss on the podcast today, visit us online at priority.fm slash 61. So I've had I have this weird thing now where I've read the article that was that I sent you initially as a topic idea. Um, I've read it three times, including today, and none of it has stuck to my brain. Basically, <laughs> um, so this will be in show notes for the listeners' sake, um, and it's called the uh, the busy person's lies. Uh, and it is by Laura Vanderkam. Uh, it was an op-ed published in the New York Times very recently. Um, and uh, Laura Vanderkam is a journalist and author who um, kind of studies and reports on productivity, time use kinds of issues. Um, she, um, I just finished listening to uh, the audio recording of her first book, 168 Hours, which is, um, as one one might know if they know how to do math, the number of hours that are in a week. Um, and it's it's about, um, a lot like this article, it's about uh, journaling, you know, doing a time diary on, on how you actually spend your time and figuring out where your time goes. And trying to take the week, you know, this, this collection of 168 hours and consciously and mindfully sort of map out, uh, you know, what do I want those 168 hours to be? Um, and she argues, kind of like uh, the gist of this piece, um, from what I can remember of it. <laughs> Again, my my new parent brain. I don't I don't quite have things stick to it as well as as I used to. Um, the gist of it is that that we're not as busy as we think, and that's actually a thread that goes all the way back to this first book of hers from four years ago, which is that that we have this cultural narrative of being too busy, especially parents, but everybody being too busy and working so many hours and having all these commitments, and that a lot of it is really. Um, uh, it's two things. It's a mix of, of misperception of where our time is actually going and how much time it takes to do things, as well as um, this this sort of... Um, uh, actually, three things. The second is this sort of shared narrative, this, this, you know, we all talk about how busy we are. We all want to think of ourselves as busy, hardworking people. And, and the third factor, which is we're not very mindful about, like, choosing where to put that time. So time does tend to disappear. Um, 
So anyhow, I'm, I'm, I'm very interested in her work, and I kind of wanted to maybe use this article as a nice springboard, because um, the reader can bruise it at their leisure without having to actually follow themselves around and do a time diary for a week or whatever, or, or read a book. Um, but um, I thought it'd be a nice nice discussion point for us, because we've talked very recently about this this culture of being busy, or how someone, say, a new parent who with a full-time job and part-time classes manages to keep all of those uh, plates in the air and balls spinning. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Or the, you know, you bring in the parenting conversation into it or uh, insist to people without children that they should just see what happens to their time once they have the children. <laughs> yeah. Oh, totally. Right. Right. Oh, oh, you're eating dinner. Well, enjoy that while it lasts. <laughs> Wait till you have kids. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, oh, you're, you're watching, you're watching a TV show that doesn't feature a cartoon girl yelling things in Spanish. Well, congratulations. I hope you enjoy that. As soon as you have a child, that's over. It's all Dora. Oh, wh- when I have kids, will you go away? Is that what happens? <laughs> that'd be great. Carol. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Good stuff. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, this is definitely something that strikes a chord. And I I think it's everywhere because the headlines suggest to me that it's everywhere. But I, I definitely hear this at my institution, among students, among faculty, whatever, Um it, it just seems par for the course to to say that you're busy when someone asks how you are, or how things are going, mm-hmm. or how work is going. Yeah. But that suggests that, that, like, there's some sort of state of work where you're not busy. So I just want to ask people, what, well, what do you mean busy? Like, you're doing, <laughs> you're doing your work when you're supposed to be working? As right. opposed to what? Twiddling your right. thumbs? Yeah. Playing video games? Absolutely. Unless that is your work. Um, and there's an interesting thread in Laura Vanderkam's work. I've just, I've recently become a fan. I know I've, we might've even quoted something she's written here before, uh, on the podcast before. I know I've, I've seen her pieces around here and there, but, um, the last couple weeks, um, since this op-ed has come out is really the first time I've, I've dove into it and actually, you know, taken a hard look at what she says. A lot of her work seems to be almost sort of, um, it's almost like busyness apologetics, Um, and she does have this very hopeful thread of her argument, which I, which I think is good and righteous and, and, you know, is worth paying attention to, which is, um, we can do more than we think we can. And, and you, it's not as bad as you think it is right now. Um, but at the same time, like, I also feel, um, just having come through 168 hours, a lot of the stories are about people who have all this stuff going on and it almost feels like a defense of their lifestyle and their choices. Like of not just the def- you know, she doesn't, she doesn't defend the culture of everybody saying, oh, I'm busy. Oh, I'm busy. Oh, I work all these hours because, you know, and she, she does a good job backing up with research. Um, she cites a few things, you know, Gallup and, and other organizations in this article, um, you know, to do, do research on how busy people think they are. But um, she does a good job backing up with research. The research shows pretty conclusively people do not work as many hours as they think they do. Um, I think the stat in the article is uh, people who report that they work 75 hours are usually off by about 25 hours. Um, you know, statistically, if you if you if your uh, knee jerk estimation of how many hours you work is 75, you probably work 50, mm-hmm. according to according to the research that's been done on that topic. Um, and uh, but but also like you you listen to stories about her life, um, you know, in this article, 
this was written at a point in her life when she's she's got a full-time career as an author with a new book that came out last year and she um, she has four kids her husband works as well she travels a lot because she, she does a lot of work you know as a, as a you know speaker now that she is a well-known author Um you know, and, and in her book, she talks about, like, all this other stuff. She's got time for herself. Well, and actually, she mentions that in here. You know, she fits in naps. She fits in massages. She has a couple, you know, takes a couple of beach holidays on her own. All this stuff going on. Um, you know, her book, she talks about the choir that she she's with. And, you know, all of the, the case studies in her book are people with kids and these crazy careers and all these interests and hobbies and charities they work with. Um, and it really feels like it's a defense of that kind of, like, fill-every-moment lifestyle. Um, which mm-hmm. I, 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 you know, and I, I don't want to say whether there's good, bad or indifferent, but just one thing I want to note, um, I guess I can't say at the outset cause we're about 10 minutes in, but you know, one thing I want to, I want to note before going too far is I feel like there is kind of a, as much as we have a cultural bias to say, I'm busy, I'm busy. She has kind of a bias to say, uh, busyness is good. <laughs> Um, to your point about like, well, when is it not that way? Well, in her mind, you know, not only when is it not that way, but like, you know, she wants you to have a super full life. Mm-hmm. I don't know that it's necessarily full uh, in in the article when she recounts some of those those nice quality moments. Um, to me, I think it's just that it's about the quality experiences you're mm-hmm. not missing. Um, sure, I think especially, and we've talked in recent weeks even on the show about uh, <laughs> I believe is when we were talking about memory in particular, but about capturing our experiences and. Uh, cherishing experiences over our things, even. Mm-hmm. Um, there is this narrative that we need to be filling our lives with these quality experiences. Um, so I think maybe one of the the negative sub-stories of the busyness culture is that we feel really guilty when we see other people having a good time and feel like we've missed opportunities mm-hmm. or the late night in the office prevented us from having, you know, the nice meal with the family or uh, working a day on the weekend for this project meant we had to skip that party with our friends or whatever. Um, Not for you since, you know, you're not into people. No, no. I would rather skip the party with the friends and go to the office. Yeah. Yeah. Present company included. Um. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) That sounds like something people are into. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that sounds like something people would like. Um, yeah, it's it's that's kind of a funny example right now, though, because Courtney and I were just reflecting on the fact that, like, both of us in the last week, you know, we both have jobs that we really like. And uh, if we did not have, um, you know, our, our adorable little baby boy to come home to and hang out with, um, both of us would have happily worked more hours last week. <laughs> um you know, so I, I guess kind of undercutting my own, my own, you know, pointing out Laura Vanderkam's um, worldview bias. Uh, <laughs> kind of one, one area where I shade into the same thing is like I actually would work more hours if I could, um, <laughs> if I could find them to work. You know, mm-hmm. at, at what I'm doing now, anyhow, not hasn't always been true with mm-hmm. every job, but you know, I like what I do. I like spending time in in the office. Um, yeah. You know. Yeah. No, likewise for me too. And I wonder if the opposite is one of the instincts that makes people overestimate in their minds when you do something that, even if it's not, even if you like your work, if you feel like you are being underappreciated or undercompensated or underrecognized for your work, that can make it feel like it is dragging on like crazy, Mm -hmm. you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. I would think so. I mean, it's, um, 
Uh, I tweeted about this sometime in the last week. I'll, I'll link to that tweet in show notes as well so I get my wording right. But something along the lines of, you know, busyness is not a problem if you chose what you're busy about and you have the option of stopping it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the busyness that we feel that, you know, what I was getting at is the busyness that we feel as, as a burden or a barrier or uh, or oppressive and anxiety producing is is things we didn't choose or don't feel like we chose that we don't really have a good way of getting away from. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that that inescapability um, is a big part of it. Um, mm. One thing she doesn't mention in this article that I is in the book that I really liked. Um, you know, you mentioned the good moments, finding the good moments, the quality time. Um, she has kind of a David Allen esque uh, tip near the end of the book that was one of really one of my favorite takeaways. Um, of course might, it was. Yeah, of course it was. Um, I like I like a good life hack in the final pages of a book. Um, but uh, she has this idea of of identifying like making a couple of lists of things that like activities that bring you joy. Um, you know, pleasant things, things that relax you, things you, you like doing and you like having part of your day and make two lists of them. Make a list of, of activities that fit that bill that can be done in 30 minutes and make another one of uh, activities that fit that bill that could be done in 10 minutes mm. and, and kind of keep those handy and, and be mindful about them because as she points out, um, and again, I think this is, this is her like filling that 168 hours you know, worldview that she's got. Um, but still, I think this is this is a good way to go about it. Uh, weird little windows of time will come up. And if you just default to turning on the TV or playing with your phone, um, unless, of course, turning on your TV or playing with your phone is, you know, what brings you joy in that amount of time. Um, I know 10 minutes on Twitter would do me a lot of good a lot of the time. <laughs> or, or playing threes or Alto's Adventure or what have you. But, um, you know, if, if you have a little weird window of time open up... Um, where you're waiting for something or, you know, and they can be things that involve other people too. You know, you've got 10 minutes in the car with your kids waiting for something to happen, waiting for something to open, waiting for someone to arrive. Um, is there something on your list that you can do with your kids while you're sitting there waiting, mm-hmm. um, for instance? Uh, because those little little windows of time like that, those little pockets of time are all around us. And that's, of course, I, I mentioned David Allen. That's a very GTD thing. He talks often, and I, I use the phrase weird windows of time. I got that verbatim from him. Um, he points out that like when you have when you have in in his mind he's thinking more like you know work as in things that we don't necessarily um, relish doing but things we need to do. If you have your work captured to the point where you know all of the little odds and ends you need to accomplish in your week, uh, when a when a weird five ten twenty thirty minute window opens up for some reason in your life, uh, and you have the opportunity to do one of those, you could get something knocked out because you know what you've got to work on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, same kind of thing, but from like a, a, a joy perspective, a fun perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really funny. I gave my staff a similar task at the end of the semester when, uh, people were basically hibernating in the library to get all of their finals work done and not eating and sleeping and doing things that gave them joy. <laughs> <laughs> so I walked them through a couple activities yeah. to identify yeah. some of those things. Because it's yeah. true, having them on hand makes a difference. Oh yeah, yeah. Self care is huge, and that's um. I'll I'll find one of these for show notes. I've, I saw a couple of articles that uh, she had written or linked to in the in the last few weeks. Um, Laura Vanderkam, uh, on the subject of do we really need as much sleep as we're getting? Maybe we're getting too much, <laughs> <laughs> and or more than we think we are. Um. So I'm I'm still as much as I like the uh, do something joyful. I think I'm still more on the self care bandwagon than than she is. Although she doesn't totally neglect that. Like a lot of this, you know, again, a lot of her, her book at least is about 
um, consciously and deliberately choosing what to fill your 168 hours with. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just of the mind. I don't know. I think I think the thing that I rebel against most in her approach is I'm of the mind that I. I, I think if you've got a lot you want to do, it's important to think about your time as being finite that way and, and finding, you know, what to do with various slices of it. But I also don't like the idea of filling it because, for instance, um, I, I don't really feel like leisure is leisure if you're scheduling it all the time. Mm. You know what I mean? I mean, certain things you, you, you do and you have to and it's okay, you know. Mm-hmm. If you have a round of golf with friends, it's probably best if you all have an agreed upon time you show up, mm-hmm. um, you know. But... Uh, I don't know. Um, if I have to, if I have to, if I only have, um, you know, a lazy Sunday afternoon when I book it six months in advance, it's not really a lazy Sunday afternoon. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of pressure on it to be a good time. Yeah. I wonder if, oh, and that can be a whole can of worms too. <laughs> oh, we we paid for this vacation. We're going to have fun, damn it. <laughs> ooh, ooh. Yeah. No, I've, I've fallen into that trap. Um, yikes. Shoot, that just almost derailed the train. Where was I? Yeah, I wonder if she is, or in, in general, it'd be more helpful to think about the more social events, not just because practically you need to coordinate with people when you're going to mm-hmm. show up where. Um, but I'm also thinking about, you know, present company and many people I love and adore in my life um, are introverted or very anxious about their own time and attention and energy. So mm-hmm. unless you coordinate something ahead of time, it's really hard to say yes to things when you have to work up to yes. You oh, know? for sure. Like if something did come up on the spur of the moment. Yeah. And that's, uh, to be honest, that is something I miss about um, college life. Like living on campus is is just there There was, uh, you know, more so than before because you were all in one place for the most part. Um, and less so than any time since, um, for similar reasons and cause we have other commitments, but like if you're, if you're living on campus in a college situation, there is an awful lot of opportunity to just go over to somebody's room or somebody's dorm or somebody's sorority house and knock on the door and say, Hey, what you doing? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and a lot of those, a lot of those will probably come to you as well. Um, and, uh, you know, it, other than that though, there's, there's certainly a, I don't know, you're right. There's, there's a need to. To, to be respectful of those boundaries and not just spring on people ad hoc. Like, hey, you want to go to a party? Like, in two minutes? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes it's hard to say yes. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. For sure. Yeah, the sleep thing is interesting, too. Um, so one thing we had talked about off-air, and I, I think I've mentioned it before, um, so I, I track a number of things for myself. I've talked before on the show about... Um, the bastardized version of, of diet tracking that mm-hmm. I do, um, loosely yeah. based on Weight Watchers. Yeah, um, it's kind of an amalgamation of Weight Watchers and Scientology, I think. Yeah, something like that. I call it uh, Katieism, uh, Katie Watchers, uh, <laughs> Katie 101. <laughs> Katie, Katie Watchers sounds a little stocky. Yeah, but it's just me. I'm the only member. So. Oh, okay. Um, it's, like, it's like a social network where it's all pictures of you. Yeah. People yeah. can share pictures of you with each other. I, I make different avatars for different personalities uh, of myself, you know, just depending uh, on how I'm feeling. Sure. Um, Here's Monday, Katie. Yeah. Oh, my God. Monday, Katie. She needs to get her stuff together. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, you should have seen the pictures she was posting. Yikes. Um, struggles. Um, yeah, the sleep is interesting. So I, I can't remember, actually, I can go back and look. Um, 
one of the things I started tracking at the beginning of the last fall semester, so maybe nine months ago, mm-hmm. was uh, my work times throughout the day because I wanted to know in a clearer sense how much I actually was working, you know, conversations yeah. like this. Was um, this was this the the attempt you made at sort of tracking like which work role different amounts of time were being spent on? Because you had mentioned that on a previous mm-hmm. episode that I listened so, to in the last week. I don't remember when that was, but – over a year ago, I tried to do this once. I tried it for like a week. <laughs> this sounds really obnoxious. I was so busy, I didn't have time to track it. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's a, I, I think she mentions in here, it's something like, what is it, 18 hours of, of her year ended up being spent on tracking the rest of it? Yes. Yeah. So I'm in that club now because I, if I didn't take notes about it because it didn't work, I don't know if I'll be able to find it. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. It looks like, but I successfully started a tracking for work. Um, yeah, it looks like when the school year started this last sure. school year. Uh, so the week of August 22nd, 2015, I successfully began tracking chunks of time. Um, and it's a pretty rough cut. You know, some days are, are slightly more accurate depending on, mm-hmm. you know, different activities, but I, I wanted it to be you know, just a rough impression of what chunks of time was I spending doing work, even if there were interruptions and breaks and whatever. But like, what would I consider my work time? Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what I discovered, and it might have changed. um, So the first week was over 40 hours. So one thing that's interesting was that although I did find you know, I, I saw one thing that I would have expected, which was that there are patterns, there are ebbs and flows to the year. Mm, um, sure. So there are, yeah. So there are times where I know I'm going to be working more than average for a couple of weeks, but then there are also times where, you know, I need to be away from campus or with family events, there are whole days where I have cut myself away from my work mm-hmm. for different reasons. Um, so it works out to be a pretty sane and even keel working life. Um, but the other thing I keep thinking about, and I know you've brought this up before, um, but there's also the idea that once you start paying attention to something that can change your behavior Mm -hmm. surrounding it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I've, I've cited that in other, other respects on the podcast, but, um, I know I've brought it up in the context of tracking your own time. Um, Mm -hmm. which is something that I, I, you know, even before becoming aware of Laura Vanderkam, I know this is also something that, uh, Julie Morgenstern, um, among others have, have recommended, you know, to take two or three weeks and just track everything you do and get a sense of what your, what your time goes to. And, and it's kind of been my feeling that there's going to be sort of a Hawthorne effect, um, which is, um, I believe the right name, (laughs) the right effect in psychology, but the idea that like observing, um, people doing something changes what they're, you know, the nature of what they're doing. Um, if you go into a factory looking to to measure things and figure out what changes can be made to boost productivity, uh, anything if, if the people know they're being observed, anything you change will seem to boost productivity because they will react to being watched. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I found the same thing. I've done some time tracking a couple different times um, on the job. I don't think I've ever really tried to do it off the job very seriously. Um, I think I might have made a, a half, half-hearted half attempt one time after reading a Julia Morgenstern book to, to do it for a week. <laughs> um, I know, like, uh, one thing, though, in, in early 2013, um, 
I negotiated a remote work arrangement where I could I could move to Kansas City because that's where we wanted to be um, for a variety of family related reasons and uh, keep basically the same job I had um, and just do it remotely, you know, over the phone, online, and such. Um, uh, there was a pretty heavy logistical component to the, the department I was in, but a lot of the work really was digital and intellectual. And, and you know, I kind of made the case that it could be done from anywhere, and I may as well get to go do it anywhere. Um, mm-hmm. But one of the one of the conditions was uh, that I, I needed to account for my time when I was down here um, because I had been and was salaried, and I was somebody <laughs> – the person who um, had been a fellow supervisor of mine and had recently been promoted to manager and was going to be my manager in this new arrangement was aware of this. I was someone who, like, one week I would work a, a legitimate 70-hour week, not not just working 50 and saying 70, but really 70, and I know that because we had to track time against different projects. Um, you know, I'd have all-nighters there sometimes. Uh, but other weeks there wouldn't be much going on, and I would spend, th- you know, 40 hours in the office, 30 of them screwing around. Um, because there just wasn't much going on and, you know, cause I knew the big weeks were coming again. I would, I would take advantage of that. Um, so, so, you know, she wanted a fairly strict accounting, so I'd keep a spreadsheet each day and, you know, I worked on this project for this amount of time and then I did this task on that project and then I got interrupted by this call and then I went to this meeting on, on the, on Skype or, you know, what have you. Um, and what I found was I worked a lot more consistently than I did when I was off when I, when I was when I was in the office um, when I was off on my own I was working a much more solid chunk of time. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I observed, though, kind of related to to what we're talking about about not having time to track it. Uh, so this the remote part of this job I'd been there for about five years. The remote part lasted about four and a half months before the whole thing sort of fell apart for some other reasons. Um, there's a lot going on with the company at the time. It was being bought by a much larger firm. Um, there's a lot of, of chaos before and after with, with sort of the management core and who was in charge of what and what resources we had available. Um, things were getting kind of out of control, and I was getting really busy. Like, I was working more and more. You know, I would get up at 5 or 6 in the morning, and I wouldn't have to shower and commute, so I'd get to work more or less right away. I'd work straight through until 6, you know, eating eating in my home office, maybe taking the dog for a 15-minute walk. Um, and then after having dinner with Courtney, I would come back upstairs and work some more, um, you know, well into the evening and still not get it all done. And as I got busier like that, one of the first casualties was these time logs, Mm -hmm. um, which actually nobody cared about. This is one of those like, you know, (laughs) stop doing it and see if anybody notices things I used to talk about all the time. Um, this is one example. When I stopped doing the time logs, nobody cared. Nobody even noticed. Mm -hmm. Um, there was, I think there was some question about it, you know, when things started to fall apart near the end, but it was much more a matter of like, look, there's just too much going on and we don't have the resources, you know, mm-hmm. we don't have the people we used to, we don't have the budget we used to, you know, we've been told no, no temps, no this, no that, no outsourcing, you know, it, it, so yeah, of course things are falling through the cracks. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's absolutely the case that, um, you know, tracking, tracking takes resources itself. Um, it was a common complaint on this job. I mentioned we did track time against projects. You know, we had to bill our hours against projects. And I was usually, I was I was scrupulous about it. Like I wasn't, you know, billing things that didn't, time that didn't happen. But I was pretty loose and fast and loose with it. And I would very often fill in a day or two at once, like at the end of it or at the end of the next day, kind of from memory and just looking over, you know, I know these files got done. I know roughly how long they take, stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um 
But I, I know especially the hourly folks would often complain, you know, they would spend a couple hours a week just filling out, you know, what, what they'd done that week. Mm-hmm. And was that really productive time? And should they be getting yelled at for having two hours of general and administrative time on Friday? You know, this is unbillable time, time that doesn't go against the client's project. Um, when that was, in fact, spent billing all these clients for <laughs> for the time mm-hmm. that they had, had spent on projects. You know, yeah. I don't know. There's an overhead to this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me at least. And again, I think it's a, a matter of do you have to do it or are you choosing to do it? Perhaps because I've been choosing to do this this whole time. I think it has made me alter my behavior in in ways for the better. Um, a couple of things, I think, coincided with me starting to track this stuff. I also, and I forgot to look, I also at some point started tracking sleep, roughly, mm-hmm. Um and that basically my only finding was, oh, my God, I sleep so much. <laughs> um, it made me feel it was a little crazy making because I didn't understand how I could have been getting so much sleep and I felt so tired so often. Mm-hmm. And then that sort of like those two realizations together that I was working a totally expectable, expectable, is that a word? Expectant. Expe- expectable. <laughs> Oh, Monday, Katie, get it together. Um, Expectable. They alive. Damn it. <laughs> it's a miracle. Um, no idea. Expect. Oh, man. Respectable? No. No, Spec- like to be expected, but I was trying be- to make it be one spectacled? word. Bespectacled? Bespectable. <laughs> be- be no, you can't put them together. It's not going to work. Okay. Um... But so the two things together, the sleep and working a much more tolerable uh, set of hours than I had feared, um, made me think about, you know, what times of day was I working? What times of day um, was I exercising and eating? And uh, how was sleep fitting into this? Was I sleeping at the same times or just sleeping a lot, but on different schedules? And um, so I guess for me, like, adding these different pieces just because I was curious um, Mm -hmm. was good because then I did have to think about it all as one picture, even though I didn't set out to do any of this with that in mind that, you know, okay, I'm going to get a grip on my whole life and I'm going to map it all out and I'm going to understand. Right. It wasn't like that at all. I really came into it um, meaning for this system to be descriptive and then, you know, when it was useful, it sort of came to mind that, oh, maybe there could be some changes that would be helpful mm-hmm. um, based on what I see. Yeah. 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 I, I, that's, that's one. Um, and actually, now that I'm, now that I'm thinking about it, like she talks uh, in, the, in the article, which again, we'll link in show notes, Laura Vanderkam talks about tracking her time for a whole year. Um, and, and I know there've been some, some various long-term diary studies of, of time use that is the basis of a lot of her writing and a lot of her work, um, and counsel. But, um, I'd also say like, I think some of those, you know, going back to Julia Morgenstern's version of this, I think some of those benefits would also accrue just from doing it for a little while. Mm -hmm. Um, again, your data might not be that accurate. You mentioned your time changes throughout the year. Um, you know, when, when English season begins and, and, you know, the words need to be harvested, um, you've got a lot more hours, but, uh, you know, you might have a more relaxed schedule, you know, during math season. 
I love that so much. I don't know what to do with that, but I love all of that. Yeah, I, I, I was hoping that would be appreciated, not yes. not uh, crazy making. Anyhow, um, yeah, this is this is my 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 uh, my imaginary, you know, like um, Richard Scary book version of like what you and Billy do. It's oh yeah, basically the uni- like... the university academia is like farming of of ideas. Yeah, I'm picturing a rolling countryside. I am pushing my cart full of articles uh, through the <laughs> the part of speech articles that is right, um, right, yeah, yeah, absolutely through the fields. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, oh, let's let's go see let's go see Bob the pig who is a verb smith. This is and, definitely and, and you can the tell that apple. because he's got uh, he's got um, he's got like running the word running like in some tongs uh, over over a fire where he's like shaping it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great scene. <laughs> Anyhow, I don't, I don't well even done. remember what I was talking about. Uh, different I'm, seasons I'm so of the year. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So you do have you do have different seasons. Like there is, in one sense, no such thing as the typical week. Um, mm. But I think just doing it for two or three weeks, you might you might learn something kind of surprising. You know, something new. Mm-hmm. Um, one tip, takeaway thing, kind of thing that I'll mention that might be worth looking into. Um, I think there's one program of this type called Rescue Time. There's probably others. I've never actually used one, but I'm going to recommend them as an idea. If tracking your time, um, even just at work or even just at home, you know, even just for one part of your life, seems like a giant chore, and you're, you know, you the listener are balking at the idea of spending that much time tracking it or like having to be to be bound to that. One thing I'll recommend is there is software that will do this at least electronically, like for your your digital life. So if you work consistently on one computer most of the time at work, um, you know, however you define at work, whatever your job is. Um, there are applications and again, rescue time is one. I'm pretty sure it's, it's for the Mac. I don't know if it works on windows. I might have that completely backwards. I'm sure there are other ones for both platforms, but anyhow, I would look for, for, you know, application time tracking software. But what rescue time does is it keeps track of what, um, applications, what windows and what documents you, you have, um, open for how long and which ones have focus on your screen. Um, so if you're spending a lot of time in a Facebook tab of your browser, it will show that if you spend a lot of time in a certain spreadsheet, it will show that it will break it down for you, you know, where your time is actually going digitally. Um, and I, I imagine, I don't know for sure. I've only heard it described. I would imagine it probably also shows idle time, you know, nothing happened on the mouse or the keyboard for 15 minutes and your computer locked up for an hour. So, you know, you were doing something non-electronic then. Um, but at least you'll start to get kind of a picture of what you do digitally by doing something like that. Kind of the same way that a fitness tracker will tell you how many steps you took, whether or not you're consciously exercising or not. Um, some smartwatches like the Apple Watch will actually track your heart rate and will decide whether or not you're exercising. Um, <laughs> you know, a lot of those won't actually trigger that you're in a workout if you don't tell them you're in a workout. But at least it will, if it's tracking like you need to elevate your heart rate for 30 minutes a day to a certain level, it'll keep track of whether you're doing that, whether you're consciously keeping track of it or even consciously exercising or not. Um, you know, same kind of thing with something like Rescue Time. If you can find an application to, to sort of watch what you do digitally, um, which sounds a little creepy, but it's for you. You know, you're not, you're not doing this so somebody else has that data. You're doing it for yourself. Mm-hmm. But if you can find something that will kind of keep you honest and do the work for you, it might be worth at least looking because you'll have at least a slice of your life. Um, you know, a, a, a less, uh, 
less less accurate from a time perspective, but at least kind of a glimpse of of what what's gone on, kind of thing that I played around with once in the past too. Um, inspired by comments of Merlin Mann on uh, in one of his talks, I think at MacWorld in two thousand eight. I'll I'll find it for sure for show notes. But um, I've also done things like uh, for a few weeks in like two thousand nine two thousand ten in that time frame. At the end of each work week, I would go back on my work and my personal email accounts and look at my sent folder and just kind of read through the the headings and like click on a few messages just to get sort of the gist of the week. Like, what did I actually work on or say that I was working on? What conversations did I have? Who have I touched base with? You know, um, I at the time, I'd kind of incorporated it with my, my GTD style weekly review. This was just sort of an extra thing I'd added on. But just because I wanted to have a sense, you know, if I had to sort of summarize what the last week of my work was about and what the last week of my you know, online life was about um, on the personal side. It, this was one way to sort of look at a, a breadcrumb trail of where I'd been. It wasn't really telling me time exactly because you could have 100 messages about something you spent three minutes on in real life um, and have one message that reflects like 40 hours of work you did before sending a big deliverable off. But it, it did give me at least kind of a general picture of, of what the components were, even if I didn't have an exact measure of the time that went into them. Um, and certainly things like that will tell you the kinds of time you're spending on at least whatever the, the tracking mechanism is. Like in that case, I could tell weeks that I was spending a lot of time in email cause I would have sent a lot of email. I could right. tell weeks when I didn't cause I didn't. Correct. <laughs> so anyhow, I don't know if I'm making any sense, but these are the, mm -hmm. these are the things percolating in my brain. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my stuff is all. Uh, my, my Katie watcher system is all homebrew. So I'm in a mm -hmm. spreadsheet on Google drive, like I've mentioned. Um, yeah, yeah. which I, I think is fine. And that's, um, that is exactly not Google drive, but spreadsheet is exactly the tool that Laura Vanderkam talks about in her book. Like just open a spreadsheet, you know, mm -hmm. make your own log. She has, she has templates available online too. I'll link to that, but yeah, I'm sure there are many others, but yeah, I mean, mm -hmm. just make a spreadsheet. That's, that's what I've done when I've had to track time. Yeah. Um, yeah. One other thing we've we've touched on briefly is kind of a self-helpy thing that I just like about her book. And, and one thing that I think recommends her work generally um, that she says at the very beginning of her book is um, <laughs> in the introduction, she points out that she uses the real full names of all of her examples and nobody in the book is a composite, which I love. Um, <laughs> Again, you would. Yeah, I, I would. But that's that's something I find super obnoxious. Like, you know, oh, I've changed the names and industries and certain pertinent job details with the people in the book so they couldn't be identified. And it's like, well, <laughs> so you changed the industry of the person that applied your advice. What if it doesn't actually work in the industry you changed it to? Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. Um, no, I hear you. Yeah. And, and the composites really drive me crazy. It's like, well, if it's a composite, I mean, here's here's the thing. And... Yeah, I'm sure some some statistically minded social science person will want to argue with me about this that it can be done right, but I don't think I don't think authors of books actually think about it in in very scientific ways. If you are making a composite of various people that you've worked with or interviewed, you are not actually describing a real person. You know, certain facts about that composite were inspired by by Beth, and certain other facts of that composite were inspired by Carl. But the person you've described doesn't exist, so they are not an example. I suppose. Yeah. So, um, so any takeaways from this article? Are you going to try anything, do anything differently? Well, um, I guess for me, I, 
yeah, I think there's a lot of good stuff in there. The main thing for me was it helped me reflect on a, I, on the stuff I've been doing, I think. Um, so one big thing for me, because I was also thinking a lot about um, the different ways that we're expected to track and account for our work. So I was thinking about the the whole philosophies and perspectives that that underlie salary versus hourly work. Mm-hmm. Um, and, th- and then thinking about my own experiences with both, um, I absolutely loathed having to track my time when I was an hourly employee. Um, I also loathed my schedule and <laughs> lots of other things um, because I felt like it was not a flexible enough system to let me do the work well and in the moments where I was the best person to do the work and not not in a hippy dippy I should get to do what I want sort of way because the rest of the world doesn't matter um but there there could have been some small flexibilities that would have let me do better work mm-hmm. and I couldn't do them right. and that was frustrating right um but now as a person who has way more flexibility uh tracking this stuff myself has helped me keep edges on my work week on um my expectations for myself, um, you know, keeping those other important things in my life that are not work, keeping those things in check and, and, uh, making sure I'm spending, you know, like you've been talking about my time where I want to and how I want to. Mm -hmm. Um, so I guess my, my big takeaway from all this is something like, um, (laughs) we need to get everybody salaried, but we need to think hourly. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's pretty good. You know, like, yeah. I wish there was some sort of model where we could value the the good parts about both because I think we'd get a lot more out of ourselves and out of others if we could. Yeah, I, and I mean, I think that's kind of the the big the big um, the, the sort of worldview that that Laura Vanderkam is approaching this from is that uh, you know whether we we all act like we are salaried in life, like we spend a lot of our time how we want to, um, but the time is still a finite resource. You know, and the difference is like it's it's not that your employer doesn't have enough hours in the budget or or can't pay you overtime. You know, if you go over, you you just literally can't go over if you're you know a human being living in time. Um, you have this hundred and sixty eight hour block every week, um, but it's kind of the same idea. It's like you 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 know we act like we are salaried and the work will take whatever time we have to do it in work being you know, all of life in this case. But you know, really, we are all hourly. We all only have these hundred and sixty eight hours. Ooh, I think we nailed this. We need to shut up. You have been listening to Priority. Once again, for complete show notes, or if you'd like to send us feedback via email or subscribe to the show, visit us on the web at priority.fm. If you enjoyed the program today, please go to iTunes and leave us a positive rating and review, as that will help new listeners find the show. Also, if you're interested in getting updates or communicating with us via tweets, follow us on Twitter, where we are at PriorityFM. That's at P-R-I-O-R-I-T-Y-F-M. Thanks again for listening. Um, we're the article we're going to talk about, um, at least as a, as sort of a jumping off point for maybe some other stuff, um,
is uh, about tracking time use and making making effective use of the time we have and how we're not as busy as we think, um, which is, uh, <laughs> I don't know, it's not exactly related, but it's kind of related. Um, I have the impulses I periodically do to go back and re-listen to a bunch of our old episodes the last few <laughs> days, um, and I've actually been doing it in Overcast on like the maximum speed. Um, so I turn smart speed on, which takes out like excessive silences and pauses and speeds things up a little. And then I, I crank the, um, the multiplier up all the way to like two plus, which I don't know. I haven't looked to see what that actually makes it. If it even tells you what two plus really means. So, but anyhow, on our particular podcast, once all the silences are taken out and, and, you know, everything the smart speed does, um, it ends up being around three to three and a quarter times normal speed. Mm. So. Yeah, so you sound like you're talking really slowly right now. Mm. Um, I will tell you, our theme song is a lot of fun at three times normal speed. Wow. And by fun, you mean manic, right? Yeah, it's uh, it's a little crazy. Um, I've been I've been I've been experimenting. I have not generally been a fan of the um, listen at one x you know or higher speeds. Um, I'm usually more just you know whatever speed it, it was recorded at. That is that is how God intended it to be heard. Um, but uh, I've been experimenting with it lately, and I've I've I'm discovering the thing I most like is figuring out whose uh, whose theme songs sound best at what speeds. Mm. Um, and I have to say, like, I've, I've made some interesting discoveries. Like, for instance, ours at, at 3X is, is interesting. Sounds like video game music. Um, uh, Accidental Tech Podcast, their theme song at one and a half speed actually sounds like it's it sounds like a very different take of the same song. And it sounds pretty good. Mm-hmm. Has a very different vibe. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think there's a useful tip for your life in here. but No, but there might be a, a fun listicle in your future. <laughs> yeah. Seven podcasts that sound better at one and a half speed. You won't believe what happens next. Uh, might make for a, a narrow audience and annoyed hosts, but eh. mm-hmm. that's the internet. Fit 42 more minutes of podcasts into your week with this one weird trick. Oh my God. Uh, uh, yeah. I think we did it. You're, you're welcome, the listener. 